Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans, one of my favorite books in the Bible since I was a child. I came to saving knowledge of Christ by going through the Romans' road to salvation, it was called, in independent fundamental Baptist world. Verses in Romans that explained that we're all sinners, that Christ came for sinners, that salvation is only offered through Christ to us sinners, that there's no other hope, that all of our righteousness is is filthy rags in the eyes of, of God. So the great gospel truths found in the book of Romans have resonated with me from the time I was a child. And tonight we'll be talking about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, actually a very specific part of verse 2. We'll read verses 1 through 3. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible has a great deal to say about our minds, how we should think, how our thoughts affect our actions. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's Proverbs 23, 7. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, Isaiah 26.3. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That's Romans 8.6. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind, Ephesians 4.23 tells us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2, 5. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Colossians 3, 2. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 13. And here... To top it off, those are, those are some of the verses, just some of the verses, admonishments about our thoughts and about our minds in Scripture. But to top it off, Mark twelve thirty, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's a tall order. 
It's not the only tall order in Scripture. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Those are Christ's words in Matthew 5, 48. We too easily forget that God's standard for human conduct is perfection. It's a standard that we all constantly fall short of. Man is not the measure of all things. The Greek, pagan Greek philosopher Protagoras said that approximately 2,500 years ago. And people are still repeating that same lie 2,500 years later. Don't you think our adversary wants us to think that? That man is the measure of all things? That we are the arbiters of good and evil? That we can compare ourselves among ourselves and come out pretty good? It's a lie. There's a prayer entitled Self-Knowledge in the Valley of Vision. It's the book Elder George referenced this morning and quoted from. This is an excerpt from the prayer entitled Self-Knowledge. Let me not take other good men as my example and think I am good because I am like them. For all good men are not so good as thou desirest, are not always consistent, do not always follow holiness, do not feel eternal good in sore affliction. When we compare ourselves among ourselves, as the Apostle Paul pointed out in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, Not only are we not wise, but we fall into the trap of feeling pretty good about ourselves, of thinking high thoughts about ourselves. It reminds me of an old quote attributed to many different sources, some Christian and some not, trying to track down the source of this quote. It's variously attributed. I've used this quote before in Sunday school. You've all probably heard it at some point. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Where does it start? Thoughts in the mind. All of our actions that we've done in our lives started with an idea. I believe I'll do such and so. I think I'll do this today. All of our words that have proceeded out of our mouths are nothing more than articulations of our thoughts. And as an aside, have you ever known someone with no filter and everything that they thought seemingly just drained into their mouth and came out? And how, I don't want to use the word unfortunate, I don't believe in fortunate, how unseemly 
that can be. When somebody can't, they cannot not articulate what they're thinking. This thought ran through my head, so I must spit it out and let the world know what I'm thinking. There's a time and a place to articulate your thoughts. So what does it mean to be spiritually minded? What is Paul talking about in Romans chapter 12? I can't think of the term spiritually minded without an image coming into my mind. The most spiritually minded person I've ever known was my father during the 15 years that he fought cancer. And I've often reflected when a person knows that their time is short, when they know that they're really dying, and not in this abstract sense that, I mean, we're all dying someday, hopefully not soon, but the awareness of impending death radically affects a person as well it should. I've often thought you could not find a person who goes to the doctor and hears the ultimate bad news from the doctor and for it not to radically affect their life. And I even would apply that to the most spiritual Christian you know, whoever that is. Let that spiritual Christian go to the doctor and hear the bad news. He'll come away from that doctor's appointment a different fellow. The Bible tells us to draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. That's James 4, 8. My dad chased after God fervently, sincerely, daily during the 15 years of his battle with cancer. He was a Christian when he went to the doctor in November 2006 and he got the bad news. But I'm here to tell you he was a radically changed person afterwards for the better. He was a much more spiritually minded Christian after hearing the bad news. I'll never forget about two years ago, it was summer of two years ago, visiting dad and we were watching the evening news. And when it was over, it was just your standard operating procedure, evening news. Bad news, bad news, more bad news, the sky is falling, and then at the end, made in America so you can feel good about it, about the way things are going before we shut down for the night. And he looks at me, and he says, I'm glad I won't be around much longer. And I told him I understood what he meant. I knew what he was talking about. He wasn't being morose. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was being honest. Glad I won't be around much longer. When I, under, I told him I understood that. He said, you know something? You won't be around much longer either. And I knew exactly what he meant. 
he was not talking about my genetic predisposition to not set any records in longevity in the lifespan department. What he was talking about, he was reminding me in so many words of the great truth expounded upon in James chapter 4. What is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. People, and I think probably men more so than women, could be wrong. They get caught up in the idea of creating a legacy. Something that will cause them to be remembered after they pass away. Could be writing a great book, building a skyscraper, starting a successful business, finding the cure for a disease. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. Those aren't sins. But people often rely on these things to fulfill their desire for their name to live on after they're gone. So that makes me think of my dad and the legacy that he left me, something to remember him by. It was a legacy of faith, and it's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. And I submit to you that that is a great legacy to leave behind. It's one every Christian parent should aspire to. For all the parents here, you know your children watch your manner of life. They watch how you live your life. And they use you as an example. They may use you as an excuse. I've found myself doing that a number of times. Just this morning in Sunday school, I talked about how I've struggled with temper. I can be nonchalant about it and say, well, so did my dad. Probably got it genetically. As if that's an excuse. It's not. But children watch the manner of their parents' life. And children watch the manner of their parents' death. And parents don't like to think about the fact that they are teaching their children how to live and how to die. Unless the children die first. And that is an unspeakable tragedy. But in the natural order of things, we bury our parents. And when we see the manner in which they depart this world, it, it leaves an impression on you. My dad left this world longing, longing for heaven. Wanted to go. Couldn't wait to go. 
was praying to go. Told me he prayed. There at the end, stage four. It was over a year of that. Stage four. Any of you all know cancer. That's, that's the end. And the end is not pretty. Lots of morphine. You need help with everything. Eating, getting out of bed. The whole works. And he told me, I pray every day. Lord God, please let this be the last day. Please let this be the end. I've had enough. He could not wait to leave this earth. And I've often reflected as well, as depressing as this is going to sound, don't you think that the Lord God in his sovereignty uses a horrible thing like cancer? And I hate cancer. And we overuse the word hate, but I do hate cancer. Hate is the proper word for my feelings about cancer. I despise it. I truly hate it. But don't you think that the Lord God uses something like cancer to draw his people, his children, close to him? to disabuse his children of their love for the world and the things of this world, to draw them to him and make them aware of the fact that this life is just a vapor. To put them in mind of the fact that very soon you're going to be leaving. And look, very soon we're all going to be leaving. There, I said it. Sounds terrible. If you live to be 100, it's very soon. That's the point. I'm only 53 years old. That's half a century and change. A couple months ago, I was a little kid. 30 minutes ago, I was looking at Victor and... Graceland walking in and thinking, we, me and my wife, we were that young couple. Just, I mean, it was just 26 years ago, just like that. That young guy that I was, I don't know where he went. There's an old man looking at me in the mirror now. But it, it was just a little while ago. Yeah, 26 years ago. It was. It was just a little while ago. Just a blink. And a quarter century goes by. I've also often been struck about how easy it is for my mind to become inundated with temporal concerns. Not even sins, but just temporal concerns. To the point where spiritual concerns either take a back seat or maybe even temporarily fade from consciousness. There's a phrase in common usage, the tyranny of the mundane. I've heard Elder George use it before. It's appropriate as a description of what can so easily happen in our minds. 
the tyranny of the mundane. I had a roommate 28 years ago at PCC who would often ask me, what difference will it make in 10 years? He was just trying to help me put my problems and concerns in perspective. In light of 10 years, a mere decade, so many of the things that we worry about from day to day, they won't even make any difference. So how many of our cares and concerns in day-to-day life hold up to the light of eternity? They don't even stand up to a decade, much less eternity. And it's not a sin to think about shopping for a cheaper homeowner's insurance policy, what kind of retirement investments you should be making, or even whether you have enough tuna to make tuna salad for lunch tomorrow. Those are legitimate concerns. But in my experience, I have found things like that to be overwhelming. Even, and I say this to my shame, and I said this earlier today in Sunday school, Even during worship on the Lord's Day. What does Colossians 3.2 say about that? Set your heart on things above, not on things below. I struggle to walk through those doors back there and leave all my mundane concerns on the other side of them. I struggle with that. I want to walk into, into this room, into this sanctuary, and, and be solely focused on worshiping God for this little, this little bit of time. And even for this little bit of time, I struggle. I sit there where you're at, and I struggle to keep my mind focused on the Scripture that's being read, on the truths that are being expounded upon. And it's not that the... the our daily concerns are sinful, it's that we we prioritize them too highly on our list and we forget that they're just temporal. <laughs> it reminds me of the words to a hymn I grew up singing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. It contains the following words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim. Just to be able to keep things in perspective is something that we should Ask God to give us the grace for. It doesn't come naturally. Not to me, it doesn't. And I'll tell you something else. What spiritual, but being spiritually minded, does not mean. It does not mean being useless to people here on this earth. 
Johnny Cash wrote a song in 1974 entitled No Earthly Good. And the chorus is as follows. You're shining your light, yes, and shine it you should. You're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Now, if you stop to think about that, it's very unlikely that you know any people who are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I certainly don't. What Johnny Cash was singing about was people who talked a good talk, spiritually speaking, but their words didn't result in actions. It reminds me of something Pastor John has talked about. Soon after he was a Christian, his father passed, and he's a new Christian, and he's heartbroken about it. And he's in Tallahassee going to a church, Calvary Chapel, I think, And he said the response to his father dying was, hey, man, it's okay. We love you, man. We're praying for you. And he'd kind of like give him a quick hug or a pat on the back or a pat on the shoulder. Just, yeah. God loves you, man. And how shallow and... (laughs) how sad that made him feel, this supposed encouragement. You've heard the phrase, with friends like that, who needs enemies? You've heard that? Yeah. With friends like that, who needs enemies? With people that trivialize your pain, your grief. What do the scriptures tell us? Weep with those that weep. In the book of James, we're admonished. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and well filled, yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that in the same way? Faith also if it has not works, is dead, being by itself. This is not a works for salvation passage. This is the articulation of a great truth. A real, genuine faith will produce works. And a truly heavenly-minded Christian will be of service to fellow believers. This morning, Elder George quoted from the Valley of Vision this prayer entitled, The Infinite and the Finite. And these words, these particular words from that prayer just resonated with me because it's particularly relevant to what I'm talking about. Let me remember that life is short and unforeseen and is only an opportunity for usefulness. Give me a holy avarice to redeem the time. My wife pointed out 
you don't often see that word avarice used in a positive context. A hunger for, a strong desire for, a longing for, a holy avarice to redeem the time, to awake at every call to charity and piety so that I may feed the hungry, clothe the naked, instruct the ignorant, reclaim the vicious, forgive the offender, diffuse the gospel, show neighborly love to all. May it never be said of us that we are so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. There's a meme on the internet. It's a picture of a a trailer, a truck trailer with the doors open. And it's empty. So you can see all the way back to this 53-foot trailer, like a tractor trailer hauls around. And it says at the bottom, thoughts and prayers are being sent your way. It is mockery of People do this all the time. It is a mockery of this idea that I can just think a positive thought, say a quick prayer, and I feel good about myself. I've helped you out a lot. Now, if we're capable of helping people who we know need our help, spiritual help, emotional help, physical help, food, clothing, shelter. We're obligated. And too often we we send thoughts and prayers. Nothing else, just thoughts and prayers. And the people on the receiving end say, that's great. I'm glad you're sending thoughts and prayers. It's not not going to help me with the empty refrigerator though and there's another phrase sending positive energy your way that's even more of a sham than thoughts and prayers positive what does that even mean positive energy i've heard that many times before people who don't want to speak in christianese thoughts and prayers is christianese but to say i'm sending positive energy or they'll say, I'm sending good vibes. Thanks for the good vibes, bro. It's not doing anything, but okay. You got my back. You're thinking, you're thinking good thoughts about me. It's useless. And he could say, well, at least I'm not being mean. At least I'm not saying, well, I'm glad. I'm glad the tornado tore your trailer up. At least you're sending them thought, positive energy for whatever that's worth. So heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I don't even think it's, it's a real thing. Because if you're truly heavenly minded, you will be of earthly good. I find when I'm in the company of spiritually minded believers that I'm challenged, that I'm exhorted, that I'm built up, 
As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. That's Proverbs 27, 17. For the past few years, I've been attending the men's book study we have here on Friday mornings. I think I started in 18 or thereabouts, so about five years ago, something like that. That time on Friday mornings has been a real source of encouragement to me, a real spiritual shot in the arm, just to have other believers who understand what you're going through, what your life is like, because their life is very much the same. You're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. They're fighting the world, the flesh, and the devil. You rub shoulders with unbelievers at work. They rub shoulders with unbelievers at work. Same struggles, same concerns. And just within the past month, especially, I've been challenged in this one particular area, my own preoccupation with temporal concerns over spiritual ones. And I want to thank the men here tonight who go to that Friday morning study your words that you've shared have been of great spiritual benefit to me. I often find myself for the rest of the day on Friday turning something over in my mind that has been said back there in that room behind the nursery, turning it over in my mind and thinking of the truth of it and how it applies to my life. So this, this whole message here tonight, my hope, my desire, my prayer is that it exhorts you, that it makes you consider your ways. I'm speaking to myself more than anybody here. I get more out of preparing to speak to you than you do, I'm sure. I'm a teacher. I learn more by teaching than the students do. I'm sure of that. It has helped me to prepare this. I hope that it has helped you. I pray that it has helped you. I pray that you would be circumspect about your life, about your mind, about your priorities. I exhort you to remember that your life is but a vapor. A Sunday school teacher talking about a legacy. These words, this Sunday school teacher, Jeff Edwards, told me when I was a child, went to this Sunday school when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And this guy, Jeff Edwards, would say, life is short, death is sure. Sin the cause, Christ the cure. That has stuck with me. That was 40 years ago. And those words have stuck with me. Life is short, death is sure. Sin the cause, Christ the cure. And it's not meant to be depressing. 
Because there's hope at the end of it. Christ the cure. That's the gospel. That's the good news. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's me. So Christian, I exhort you, hold fast, fight a good fight, finish the course, keep the faith. And I'm reminded once again, as I was this morning in Sunday school, of the words our brother Ben Ponder said to me last year before he moved to Nebraska. And he said, well, this is my last Friday men's study, fellas, I'm being stationed in Omaha. And half-jokingly, I said, well, you got to share some pearls of wisdom with us before you leave. <laughs> and without hesitation, Ben said, walk in love, continue steadfastly in prayer. Yeah. Amen to that. Walk in love. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for this time that we've had to reflect on your goodness, on your kindness to us sinners, on the good news of the gospel, on your grace, your mercy, your unmerited favor. I ask you to please Help us to guard our minds. Renew us. Renew a right spirit within us. Help us to be the salt and the light that you have commanded us to be. Help us to lead others to you. Help us to articulate the gospel to unbelievers around us. Give us the grace we need to lead lives that would bring honor and glory to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name I ask it. Amen.